to fruition here. We it's it's simply it, it, I, I had a meeting with a, with a very small producer um, in 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 Manhattan, and they expressed interest in doing that. So if we can put that together, that's terrific. Happen, yeah, it's wonderful. I, congratulations. I, I I hope it works out. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, JP. Thank you. So, um, okay. So, JP, um, let's uh, go ahead and update us on uh, on what you've got. You you've you've got a couple of different uh, a couple of different topics that that, uh, that that we'd like to address today. And and, and the first one, of course, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and e- explain the the current work that, that you've that you've been on last week and this week and and, and, and whatnot. Sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I have I have you know topics that I'm more specialized in than others. And um, I've been interested in what's going on in Spain is with the Catalan protest and movement there and the fact that uh, nine political activists and actually um, Catalan separatists and, and Catalan regional government people were uh, on trial and then sentenced to jail sentences. I was interested in that. I'm also interested in what's going on in Brazil and Amazonia because, you know, I was a Fulbright scholar down there. Yeah. Uh, I also did research in Spain, too. So what's going on in Brazil now, you heard about the fires in Amazonia. Well, there's current right. fires in what's called the Patanal, which is the marshy area, and that's going on. And Friday, on November 1st, there was an indigenous person from the Guajajara uh, tribe or Povo, uh, he was murdered by illegal loggers uh, in Maranhão, in the state of Maranhão, Brazil. Mm. And he was one of the, what are called the guardians of the floresta or guardas da floresta. Okay. So those are the kind of topics that, if, you know, we could talk about today if you'd like or anything else, really. So. <laughs> okay, let, me, let me just mention this. The, the, the fires... <laughs> The fires continue to burn uh, almost wildly, and then there's varying reports on that. But in Brazil, the Amazon is being burnt. Um, and I'm just right. thinking, as you're mentioning this, JP, I'm just thinking, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, for the past decade, it seems like California, the entire state of California has been on fire. Uh, all these all these ridiculous right. fires in California. I wonder if there is any, if you sink in, you know, global warming or any type of climate change. Um, right. and, and of course, uh, you know, that we, we've had on guests that have talked about, uh, talked about, it, and these are literal to combat that NASA's, uh, right. uh releasing uh, various, uh, uh, various, uh, chemicals and whatnot, or whether into the, into the atmosphere. So is that, is that possibly drying out, you know, trees? I mean, that would be, that, that's actually been one of the arguments. Presented well, I mean, as far as the climate change, as far as what I read, I'm not an expert on this at all, Ian, but I mean, as far as what I've read, um, the, apparently with if you know and and I think the science is pretty much overwhelming as far as climate change global warming and so on I mean it, the science is fairly overwhelming in that regard I have a friend who works for NASA as well he's an astrophysicist though uh, but I mean what from what I've read that the, the conditions will be drier in the future and the fires will get worse and more intensive in places like california wow wow okay so it's not, it's not looking uh not looking good not looking good not looking great <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it's all i mean so and then the other thing is that you know you not only have protests in brazil of course but you have protests happening all over the world ian i mean so that touches upon like 
protests in Lebanon and protests in Chile. Um, uh, there was another, there were other indigenous leaders killed in Colombia, so it's not only Brazil, but the genocide in Brazil has been ongoing, if I could just segue into that, has been ongoing for quite some time. And the Catholic, um, it's called Indigenous Missionary uh, Group, or SIMI, Conselho Indigenista uh, Missionario, um, Brazil, um, has reported that in 2018, the killing murders of indigenous people has gone up 20%. And in the last 30 years, uh, there's been like over a thousand Indians killed uh, in general, 1,185, I think the statistic was, which, you know, points to pretty clear evidence of a genocide, genocide, I would say. Wow. And what's the, what's, what's behind that? What's the motive behind that? So, 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 so a lot of the impetus behind this, and a lot of the impetus behind the fires in the Amazon are from cattle ranchers in. Um, and so they're called rancheros and then other farmers, fazandeiros. So because of uh, the president of Brazil, his name is Jair Bolsonaro, because of his policies of wanting to develop the Amazon, he's really opened up allowing the rancheros to, you know, set fire to their land, which in this time of year, anyway, like, um, you have slash and burn agriculture of indigenous people anyway, but it's small time. And see, what happens with the Amazon is that it, it, you know, continuously, continuously rains because, you know, water's put in the atmosphere from the mid conditions and you have this continual cloud coverage and rain and see if the Amazon burns, obviously it's been called the lungs of the world and so on. But the worry is that these fires have been out of control. And then if you listen to anthropologists and other environmentalists who are concerned, I mean, there's been several petitions written um, in regard to, um, you know, condemning Bolsonaro's um, actions or non-actions of what's happening in the Amazon. And now it's in the Patanao, which is in the, the swampy areas burning. And so, Basically, the ranchers, going back to the question, the ranchers don't want Indians on their land, so they hire uh, people to kill them or they kill them themselves. And most of the killings, or at least the majority of them, have happened in states like Roraima and Mato Grosso do Sul, although this recent killing happened in uh, Maranhão, which is northeast Brazil, which is the northeast kind of Amazon. My gosh, it sounds... Uh, sounds like a mess. Are, are there uh, are there issues with the local power companies? And I mean, it, it may not be necessary, but I'm just I, I can't help but to try to somehow yeah. draw a parallel, if if, if possible, to uh, to to California with PG&E and E, uh, and you know what. what well, the other issue, there actually, it's interesting you brought that up because, of course, another issue with about indigenous land is that hydroelectric dams are being built in the Amazon um, and, and jam up the rivers and actually flood indigenous land, which displaces not only people, but destroys, uh, you know, wildlife there, which is the most diverse in the world. Um, so you have that, the, 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 the 
drive, let's say, to develop the Amazon has also driven the government to, you know, construct uh, these hydroelectric dams, uh, including the famous one in the Cayapa land, which is Del Monte. And Del Monte. And so, um, so that's happening too. Um, and that's tied into power companies as well. And what some scientists have said is that, you know, in reality, they don't really need to build hydroelectric sort of power sources, although they could find alternative methods like wind or solar or some, you know, something more environmentally friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and how long have you been following this, uh, JP? You've been working on this for – how long have you been working on this? Right. Well, I mean, I had a Fulbright to Brazil – 2018 season, 2009. Um, um, the, this past year is when the, the fires have gotten really quite bad. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I've been mostly looking at, to be honest, mostly looking at the indigenous political movements, uh, mostly uh, urban Amerindian groups. But, you know, because this is all part of the peace, right? It's all part of being... being um, so what's happening is that uh, illegal loggers are allowed to encroach on the indigenous lands. People are allowed. So Bolsonaro said he doesn't want Indians having reservations or more demarcating any more indigenous land, allowing for mining companies to go in. There's a there's a huge tragedy happening in northern Brazil where the Yanomami people live uh, in the Garanteros there, which are gold miners who are putting mercury into the river waters, which oh, is also happening in other parts of Brazil, but really... Another genocidal tragedy happening in the Yanomami land. And what's the what's the effect there with the with the mercury? It's poisoning them. People are getting sick. People are getting poisoned by the mercury. The animals are dying. Fish kills. Let you know, the river obviously is polluted, so it's affecting the environment, affecting the wildlife, affecting the people that live there. Huge problem. Right. Okay. That's uh, all right. So let's um, let's get into that kind of waste uh, or that kind of uh, taste our appetite here for what's happening in Brazil. Let's uh, let's hit on nations, nationalism and non-nation political movements is found on Caterpunch.org. Uh, it's uh, released by you, uh, JP, on October uh, 25th. Uh, and there's an interesting so so, so for listeners uh, and myself to understand what's what's happening here in in the uh, in Spain and the. Catalonian um, uh, segments. Uh, the article or the, the paragraph here uh, is interesting. You're paralleling, paralleling it to uh, what's recently happened in the United States, and and, and your quote, right. your paragraph reads: "In fact, many Americans are often unaware of their nationalist sentiments. Take, for example, the kneeling controversy of the American football player Colin Kaepernick, who we haven't heard about much. I think there was an issue with him and Nike and, and some sort of a flag, right. uh, American flag on the right. Nike shoe that he wanted them to take right. down." But uh, but widely known in 2000, 2016 during an NFL game, uh, or and it became a habit for him. Uh, he began kneeling to protest the national anthem. Um, right. And you go on to say the act of kneeling during the national anthem provoked many uh, strong or strong emotions in in, in many Americans. Um, and so right. um, so 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 what's so 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 so, so yeah. So um, what's happening here in the Catalonia? All right, so I, I did. I, I, I brought the Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick case in the NFL just to kind of show that 
how provocative and how emotional nationalism can be or patriotism, right? Okay. Even in Americans um, who a lot of people love the NFL and watch it, and that's a huge controversy, right? I mean, that happened kind of during the election year last cycle in 2016, and the president or current president weighed in. I don't think he was president at the time, but he weighed in on the issue, right? Yeah. Condemning Kaepernick and the whole thing, and then Kaepernick said he was doing it as far as part of the Black Lives Move, Lives Matter movement, and so on. And I think um, so. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much that I think, uh, if I've got it right, it seemed like uh, the 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 current and uh, the NBA, the, it, it kind of spilled over into the NBA. Whereas I think that year, correct, the NBA the NBA championship didn't it somehow broke. Maybe it was had Trump once Trump had gotten in. To the White House, they boycotted. They didn't want to visit the White House. There was, there was some sort of a correct, spillover yeah. Into, that's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and 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 a lot. Most people, and actually, a lot of people don't even want politics to enter sports, right? Because you just want right. to separate it out. But um, you know, we're. I think in a lot of ways, we're as Americans. You just you're we're used to like singing the national anthem and used to play, saying pledge allegiance to the flag, um, whatever. I mean, that's that's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. And we're not even aware. Many Americans are not even aware of their own patriotism and so on. It's just part of who we are. Right. And so, and of course there's nothing wrong with that, but I just brought that up to kind of segue into understanding how nationalism itself is evocative in other places in the world. Right. And, and in, the, in the Spanish cases, I think is an interesting one. Right. Because the Spanish uh, government, it's a, it's a federal system. Spain is a new democracy because it was a dictatorship from 1939 to 1975 under Francisco Franco. Um, and so in the after Franco died, they transitioned into a democracy. And you have people like the Basques, who I studied, and then you have the Catalans, who wanted more um, autonomy and ultimately independence from Spain. Um, and the Basques, unfortunately, um, at least some of them, not all of them, some of them believed that the use of violence was the way to go to become independent. And so you had the terrorist group, Uscalitas Catasuna, which is Basque Homeland and Freedom, which killed 830 people, 829 people in its long history of terrorism from 1959 to 2010. 2011, and you know, I mean, thank goodness, like the separatist nationalists now are apologizing to victims. I don't think that project is totally complete, but you know, that's in, you know, the Basques are in northwest Spain, and the Catalans are in northeast Spain. You know, Barcelona being the famous capital, which everybody visits, not really understanding Catalan politics very well. But you know, the, the Catalans had a referendum in 2000. 17, uh, and, you know, it was it caused a huge controversy in Spain where the Spanish government felt the need to, you know, take over the region's government and uh, kind of not go along with any of the Catalan independence movement, right? Okay. And interestingly, Ian, is that uh, uh, a scholar um, who's in, I'm not going to name who he is, but he emailed me um, 
kind of a critique saying whether or not, you know, the Catalans were an ethnic group. And I said, well, uh, they are because you don't need to be an ethnic group based on biology because it's been proven and written about that, you know, ethnicity is not necessarily biologically based. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, anyway, so that's, this is, I mean, I can kind of give you the gist of it. And then, so what happened um, recently was that on October 14th, the Spanish Supreme Court uh, arrested, well, had uh, sentenced to prison uh, Catalan leaders, Catalan nationalist leaders. Uh, I guess one of the main persons is uh, a guy by the name of Oriol Junquera. Um, he's a Catalan vice president. He was sentenced to 13 years. And then, of course, the guy who was kind of the head of the movement, Carlos Puigdemont, um, he is living in Belgium in kind of self-exile. And they sent out a new arrest warrant to uh, extradite the guy back to Spain. So that's kind of a long short of it. So as a consequence of the, the Supreme Court judicial sentence, you have all these people protesting in the street and and in many regards quite violently, um, and in many regards just gratuitous violence, to be honest with you. So is this is this being interpreted as a the reason I asked this is uh, recently the past few days, as a matter of fact, um, uh, was it Dresden? Uh, the city and there's a city in Germany that's having an extreme uh, problem with uh, with white supremacy or rather a, a resurrection of of of, uh, of 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 the Nazi movement uh, in so much that the the city has declared it an emergency. Now there's certainly, uh, right. but that's ethically speaking, right? So and ethics do do uh, over spill somewhat. Uh, into government, right? And then I think that's one of the, uh, me personally speaking, I think that's one of the, the fine right. kind of reasons why perhaps the the U.S. Constitution is, uh, it needs to be so strictly adhered to. And of course, there's amendments and uh, interpretations uh, like any document or uh, literature that's been previously written by uh, people that are now deceased. Uh, but, uh, but there's certainly some meshing is is and from this uh, this this person who contacted you is what hap- what's happening in in the Cat- with the Catalonians is is it ethnic ethnic ethnically based JP or or, or is there any uh, is there any merit to uh, really this uh, this this the scholars well, well, question so 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 the Catalan um, identity is language is a language based identity right and so I think. I mean, um, because like one of my mentors at Oxford, like he wrote a whole book on ethnicity. But if you simply look at ethnic movements from a biological basis, you're not going to understand the identity and belonging aspect of those groups. And as a matter of fact, so if you just look at, so just given the Basque case is another example. Yeah. If you look at the terrorist group, or ETA, um, um, since the 1960s. Really, okay, so in the turn of the 20th century, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, 
a lot of people from throughout Spain, especially central Spain, moved to places like the Basque Country for jobs. The factory factory jobs were big in, in places like, in the Basque Country, places like Bilbao, because the steel industry was really strong. So people went from other parts of Spain to find work there. And interestingly enough, they identified with, you know, the regional people. With They married into Basques and... Some of them learned Basque, some of them did not. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, it didn't, if you were, like, if you were interested in becoming political or becoming part of the terrorist organization, you weren't really barred from being part of the terrorist organization if you didn't speak Basque, but if you identified with the Basque uh, traditions and ideas and so on, you're still considered you know, part of that political movement, like being part of the violent separatist or a terrorist um, without having, like, your parents being Basque or so on, right? So I, being part of an ethnic group um, is not, in essence, not biologically based. So, and I'll give you another example. Like, so if you, if you just take a general group like African-Americans, right, and it's if somebody so chooses to have a DNA test and they find out, oh, well, my ancestors are from West Africa and in particular from Nigeria or Ghana, let's say, um, that African-American person would still probably identify with being American, right? Sure. Like they're more closely aligned to being American than they are to West Africa. Right. Okay. So even though biologically, right, they uh, their DNA, they can trace it back to West Africa, their identity and belongingness, let's say if they're from, I don't know, Florida or Alabama or Georgia, they're more, uh, more attuned to being from, from that region, having identity with those places, right? So that's why, like, anthropologists like myself and researchers don't give a lot of merit to the idea that ethnicity is necessarily tied to violence. Uh-huh. And, and, and this is, I don't know if I explain it. <laughs> no, no, that's, you know, this, this is, a, this is, this is incredibly complex. And I think, um, I think we're facing many of the same issues uh, in the United States, so it, it kind of reverberates. This is not it's, and what's happening in Spain and, and even in Brazil. I think with these you're, right. you're, with these yes. indigenous folks, it's it's the same yes. type of issue that they're facing. The same thing. Yes. You um, know, in Brazil, like you know, I'll, it's interesting about Brazil because um, if you don't mind, I can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So Brazil has its own ethnic categories that we don't even have in the U.S. Right. I mean, it has an ethnic category of caboclo, which means somebody um, who has um, not only indigenous heritage, but uh, white heritage, branco indígena, right, indígena. Um, and so that is a category of somebody whose mixed ancestry is white and, and Amerindian would be a caboclo. You don't even have that category in the U.S., the census, Brazilian census, came up with a category called pardo, which means brown, okay? So that was category was set up for people who don't know necessarily their origins 
but identify with not being white, but brown. Okay. And so a lot of ethnicity and a lot of belongingness in many parts of the world, and if you want to get into issues of race, is tied into phenotype, right? Your skin color, your hair color, your uh, hair type, your eye color, and so on. Tied into what's called phenotype, right? Your your care, your physical characteristics, not necessarily your genotype, okay, or your genetic inheritance. And by the way, we're more genetically like one of those than we are different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Brazil, the idea, um, well, there's several ideas. I mean, but the the with indigenous people. The general population who aren't anthropologists or who aren't educated have no understanding of indigenous people unless they're in contact with them or married into them or know them. The general population thinks that um, Amerindians or native peoples are naked, living in the forest, and are cannibals. Okay? That's in the popular Brazilian imagination. So to get around this idea that you can be dressed, you know, modernly, carry a cell phone, be educated as a lawyer, for example, drive a car, that to uh, like the average Brazilian would be like, that is not an Indian, right? Anyway, so what so what I'm saying is that some of this these notions of ethnicity and race are tied into popular stereotypes. And, and, media, and that's can, unfortunate. Yeah. And, and the media can the media can exacerbate uh, if they like. They can dramatize or they can uh, correct. So they can manipulate somehow if it if it works in their advantage. Correct. So JP, uh, now uh, tie in what happened there in in Quebec in 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 1995. So the Quebecois movement. Um, so the referendum of what happened in Catalonia in 2017 um, was the same thing what happened in Quebec. They had a, a referendum in 1995, and the, the Quebecois movement did not win. Um, the same thing that happened in Scotland, right, recently. Right. And, and so, I mean, the lesson, I guess, from this is that these nationalist movements aren't going away anytime soon. Um, I just read recently in the BBC that the Welsh are interested in, in you know, becoming independent too. Um, you can go all over the world again and find different groups who want their own nations or territory. What's interesting is that you know indigenous people usually work within nations to have more autonomy. And, and but these other political groups want their own states, right? So you have the Palestinians, you um, have the Kurds, right, in Turkey, Syria, Iraq, um, the Katsuns in Myanmar. I mean, you just go all over the world. You have the Tamils, which is really religious based, Tamil Tigers uh, in Sri Lanka. Um, of course, with Brexit. Um, with Britain exiting the Euro, the European Union, uh, there's been the big talk about the Good Friday Agreement or the Peace Agreement, Northern Ireland falling apart and hard borders coming back. 
to Northern Ireland and Ireland. Um, so with the Quebecois movement, that also was a referendum movement of people who identify as French-speaking, um, another language identity movement uh, in Canada, because as you know, uh, uh, you know, you have the English-speaking Canada and the French-speaking Canada, and it's Quebec province, who are mostly French-speaking, who identify with French and the French language and French, as opposed to the English speakers, right? So that's how that how that. Okay, so, that, so that way. yeah, so JP, um, uh, what is nationalism? Is 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 from 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 your understanding? Is nationalism taking a stand and kneeling and protesting? Uh, protesting anthem and saying, "Hey, look, we got we've got problems in this country. I'm going to grab attention because I'm a famous athlete and I'm on a national stage, national broadcast, TV. I'm going to take a knee and I'm going to say I'm going to stand up for I'm going to stand up for all whatever he's representing, which is um, I'm right. assuming it tied into the Black Lives Movement. Um, but right. bottom line is he's saying whoever he represents is not having their voice heard. And you know, I mean, I can." I can I can right. say I think you and I can both say hey, you know I mean our voices aren't being heard so so anybody's and that's kind of the the Robin Hood effect of uh, uh, that needs to happen more and more um, anywhere around the globe but certainly in uh, in the United States but, but who's 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 patriotic are you are you patriotic if you're if you're, you put your hand over your heart and no matter no matter what. You know, no matter what country your I, I think in this country or... we have room for both, Ian. I think I think in this country we have room for both. Obviously, um, you know, uh, I believe in people's right to protest, and I think that my ancestors. I know you have ancestors that go all the way back to the founding fathers. I do too. I have. There were two brothers in my family that fought in the American Revolution. There, I have uh, the city of Reno, Nevada, was named after one of my family members who was a union general in the civil war wow. and then another ancestor who uh his name was marcus reno who i'm writing i'm going to write a book about him he escaped the battle of little bighorn where custer was oh, no slaughtered and and uh he escaped the battle ian and was considered a coward his whole life which wasn't true oh. anyway going to this idea of nationalism and nationalism is what I would call secular religion, right? People, it's a, what of, what, um, uh, this political scientist, um, uh, Benedict Anderson called an imagined community. In other words, we imagine ourselves being part of one community, one nation, all believing in the flag, all believing in singing the national, singing the national anthem, being, imagining ourselves as one community, right? But, you know, what happens is that, of course, that people have different opinions about what it means to be part of a nation. Do you have a right to protest or not? Is it, is the, are the symbols of the nation too sacred to protest about? Like these, there's even Supreme Court cases about burning the American flag, you know, and so on. Um, and so, so what does that mean as far as, you know, your identity and your belonging? Um, uh, and so this, the idea that, you know, what, what Benedict Anderson talked about was, um, you know, this is done, it was done through because of 
uh, print media at the time, newspapers. But now we have the internet, we have different news channels catering to different political beliefs. And so the catering to media, catering to different political beliefs, has catered to there being divisions as far as what it means to be American. You know, like, uh, I guess Fox News as opposed to MSNBC or something like that. You know, like uh, politics on the left or politics on the right, conservative or liberal, so-called. Um, and so uh, that has has you know made us you know blue and blue and red right or blue or red uh uh <laughs> even though that we're all americans um you know i don't i don't really believe in this divide between republicans and democrats because i think that um i think that we're all americans and whoever becomes the president is your president regardless and, um, you know, and that there's too much of the division today, Ian, unfortunately. No, absolutely. I, um, I, and, I agree. Yep. Yeah. And I think that I think that those divisions can be false. But with every nationalist movement, you have factions, Ian. Like, so I'll just give you an example, an example outside the U.S. where you have the Basque movement, though at the time, you know, those believing in violence to for independence and those against violence for independence. Right. So you have different political groups um, vying for attention and voters uh, to get their messages across. Right. So uh, tying back in, and you're exactly right. It's 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 an unnecessary divide. It's like you know the the, the flag is red, white, and blue. Yet you're blue or you're red, depending on your beliefs. And in reality, well, we're all in the same boat here. We're we're one of the same. But uh, you know, right. as far as annexation, you've got an, an incredibly strong movement in, in California, and Texas is not far behind. You've got right. Hawaii and Alaska right. in those discussions. So, right. uh, something that all Americans need to need to be concerned about, because I, I I'll parallel I'll parallel this to JP to the Treaty of Guadalupe, and what what I think a lot of Mexicans don't know, and I spent a lot of time in Mexico, and and and, and I speak right. a good amount of Spanish, but. I think, um, uh, and I love the country of Mexico, but what a lot of Mexicans don't understand and what a lot of Americans don't understand is that New Spain began, began falling apart and it kind of lost its, its, its top and bottom uh, strongholds, which, uh, on, you know, I think right. parts of Guatemala and, and, and other cent what are considered Central American uh, uh, countries were once part of New Spain, and which became Mexico under Guadalupe, Guadalupe right. Victoria. But Texas and California and Mexico, Arizona, these are, these are, they were, even on the flag, it says Republic of, Republic of Texas, Republic of California. And so, uh, like, like any large kind of organization, it's, it's hard to keep uh, your loose ends tight and close to you. So what's, what's next for the Catalonian people? What, what, what do you see? Um, what do you see for them? Yeah, I just want to touch on the history that you brought up because it's something that I also teach about. That, you know, the, the Mexican American War was called Polk's Little War, right? And it's interesting. Polk sent down a representative down to Mexico to try to buy California, which it was called California at the time, but California at the time also included, as you know, Arizona, New Mexico, parts of Colorado, Nevada, and so on. And Mexicans refused, and they were having their own kind of little they're having their own kind of civil war. 
And we provoked that war because the Mexicans believed that the borders were at the Nueces River, which is north of the Rio Grande. And Polk put troops down to the Rio Grande and provoked the Mexicans into fighting that war. And we, as you know, just mentioned that we got a huge amount of territory, which is like half of Mexico. (laughs) We got California, we got Arizona, we got New Mexico, we got Nevada, we got parts of Colorado. And then um, Texas, of course, uh, had become uh, part of the U.S. prior to that, um, or an ex part of that. But uh, uh, what's the future for Catalonia? It's like all these groups with failed nationalism, Ian, um, going to your question. Um, They'll still want independence from Spain, even though Spain's not going to give that up. It'd be like... Yeah, Texas or Alaska separating or whatever. And, you know, you have Spanish nationalism competing with Catalan nationalism. So you have these two nationalisms, right? Um, and if you're if you're a Spaniard, you'd say, well, there's only one nationalism, there's only Spain, right? right. Uh, that Catal- Catalonia and the whole idea of a Catalonia is a figment. See, but the problem is the history of this goes back to Franco, Francisco Franco, the dictator, oppressing those regions. Ian, and not letting the language, not letting people speak Basque or Catalan, right? And by disallowing Catalan to be spoken in the street or Basque to be spoken in the street, and, and by not allowing it to be taught in schools, you have this underground movement, right? And so it's still strong today. And even recently, you just have the Francisco Frank was just disinterred. He was. Um, he was uh, uh, reburied, right? He was taken out of the the, the Valle de los Caídos, where he was buried in this big mausoleum, and he was taken out and reburied in the cemetery, right? So the Spanish Civil War, which was from 1936 to 1939, is still with a living memory of many Spaniards, right? Sure, sure. So, so the Catalan movement... It's not going to go away. Neither is the Scottish movement, neither is the Welsh movement, neither is the Quebecois movement, uh, neither is the Oromo movement in, in, in Ethiopia, neither is the British Cameroon movement in Cameroon, neither are the Tamils in Sri Lanka. I mean, you know, you can go all around the world and look at these different movements. Um, West Papua New Guinea is another one in Indonesia. We have the Indonesian uh, government using soldiers and oppressing a lot of people in, in the Papua New Guinea, and I call it the West Papua New Movement, but, it, but you know, Papua New Guinea is one of the most language-diverse and ethnically diverse places on Earth. Hundreds of languages and different peoples, but it's kind of a nationalist movement going on that unites different ethnic groups. So, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah you bring up some, bring up some great, great points, JP, and, and, and we can get into you know, one of, the, one of the things I haven't really gone into, but certainly a language spoken. So, like I mentioned, I I, I speak a, a, a pretty good amount of Spanish, enough to have a, a very basic kind of conversation that's, you know, a few minutes long uh, sort of thing. But uh, uh, Spanish is a, a totally different way of thinking uh, as opposed to right. um, as opposed to conjuring up a or developing a, a sentence or phrase in English and doing so right. in Spanish is, right. is differently. So, um, right. you know, what are the elements of the culture that 
went into developing that language and and how are those elements culturally different than what went into developing english right and, and of course we're looking at centuries right. of right. <laughs> centuries of history right. right of culture but um anyway yeah well i mean english is basically a germanic language uh indo-european language and as you know also that um spanish is a romance language it's like portuguese i'm i'm um fluent in spanish and portuguese and i'm not a native speaker but i you know i'd like to i lived three years in spain and i lived in brazil yeah uh, i i used to be fluent in basquean but from my, i don't practice it enough to be fluent in it and basque the language itself uskera uh, is a non-indo-european language and it it's autochthonous means that it developed there there's still really no ties to any other language Wow. Uh, in non-European language, I mean, it's just not related to anything else. So most European languages are are Indo-European, right? Um, um, and that would include Spanish and Portuguese. But yes, uh, languages have their own mentalities. And when we lose languages, uh, which is happening with indigenous languages around the world, sure. we're losing whole worldviews, whole ideas about the world, about how to think about the world how to be in the world and 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 it's you know thank goodness for linguists and anthropologists who preserve uh or have preserved and have recorded some of these dying languages right and they're happen happening all the time yeah. so that's one of the worries about uh you know language oppression or language loss is that you know the majority of languages are uh, uh, English, Spanish, um, Chinese, Russian. and of course, uh, 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 Chinese, um, Mandarin Chinese, uh, you know, and, uh, um, Hindi, Hindi as well. Sure. Sure. But with that, with those, with language dominance and with communication the way it is with television and cell phones and the way things are going, um, you know, you have language losses as well. And then mathematics is a completely other language. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, mathematics is called the universal language. Uh, uh, and it's it's hu the human way of understanding the universe and how it works, right? How the phys physics work and people are trying to put together what's called the string theory, right? Ultimate relativity of how the quantum world, how the you know, how the microscopic relates to the larger universe and things like gravity and so on. Uh, people who've worked in quantum mechanics and things like that um, have tried to make grander theories about that. But that's, I would I would also argue that, uh, and, and I've argued this with my friends who are physicists, so it's not like, mm. I, 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 I would say that it's a human interpretation of universe the physical well, uh, universe although they well, might argue they might argue that well is there any other interpretation and we don't know right we, don't, we just don't know yet yeah 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 great great uh great and there could be higher intelligence out there we don't know i don't know <laughs> well there's definitely there definitely is i mean it's got to be i mean there's you know, something but it may not be something we can even comprehend right i mean it's, it may not be like you're correct saying, it may not be something exactly we can quantify it. That you could quantify, right. 
Uh, JP, what is uh, looking forward to uh, having you back on next month? Again, this is the Lindstrap Report, and we aim to bring it uh, the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, JP, what, do you, what what's uh, what's on the horizon for you? What are you, where, what, what are you working on next? So um, I'm, um, I'm waiting to hear back about my book of poetry, which is called Epical Reckonings. Beautiful. So I'm waiting to hear about from some publishers and surprises about that. And that book is really um, a, a, a poetic um, interpretation of 21st century um, major events, a lot of about racism, interpretations about that. And then this, well, uh, I'm writing, currently writing an article about what's going on in Amazonia and Brazil. And then I have another book coming out um, in regards to basically the op-eds that that you've seen in Counterpunch, that's going to be more of an academic slanted book on some of those topics. Excellent. And uh, and these can be found, do you have a website, JP, where you list your books? Are, you, are they available on Amazon? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, my books are available on Amazon.com. Uh, and I also have an academic website, which is on uh, academia.edu. And if you just look in the look at that website you can type in jp lindstroth and find me there or just look up my books on amazon.com ladies and gentlemen jp lindstroth jp thank you for joining the program again we look forward to having you back on thank you it's always a pleasure and i i'm just uh so great to be on your show and i i i just want to offer my congratulations for things moving forward with the show i think that's terrific and just thank you for inviting me on again. It's always a pleasure. All right. Take care, JP. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. JP Lindstroth is an incredible academic mind uh, and an incredible mind uh, outside of academia as well. Um, just a, a wonderful person. Uh, JP and I have known each other now, uh, I think, uh, going on about two years. And we've been doing the, uh, we've been, we've been collaborating here on the JP or the Lindstroth report. Um, it's been, it's been now, uh, it's been a few months. I'd have to, to get an exact reading on that, but, uh, but, but it's been a couple of months. I'll be right back. I'll be back with some closing comments for you. You've tuned to Winwood Radio. This is Winwood Radio. Ian Trachier for discussions of truth.
And a little tool for you. Amy Waters, Yarsinski, the author of several best-selling award-winning nonfiction books, most recently an American in the basement. The betrayal of Captain Scott Spaker and the cover-up of his death. The book won the Next Generation Indie Book Award for general nonfiction in 2015. While the book has led to major media interviews and speaking engagements across the country for Amy, it importantly continues the national conversation of POWMIA accountability, which is, of course, incredibly important for national security. Amy's new books include a historical series based on her favorite Virginia, North Carolina, and Washington, D.C. locales and historic sites, the first of which, Norfolk Through Time, was published on Spring List last year. A whistleblower's story set against the backdrop of a rampant scientific misconduct. The biography of one of America's greatest 20th century aviators, the story of a murder in Tehran. It would change the traje trajectory of history. Two more narratives that will make it clear that America still has a crisis of accountability for its missing service members in the story of Norfolk Botanical Garden, a Virginia historical landmark that is also listed on the National Registry of Historical Places. Amy's coming up here in the short future, and then within the next month, she'll be joining the program. And as mentioned uh, in conversation, discussion rather, with uh, with JP, uh, the, the the show, Discussions of Truth, that is, is in talks with a very small production uh, company based in Manhattan to do a monthly show for television there. Uh, that is in development, and if as it uh, continues to uh, be negotiated, uh, you will be receiving updates on on such. You've tuned in to Winwood Radio. This is Ian Hamilton Trottier. That is I. And uh, I'll be back next week with another installment of a program. Uh, and most importantly, former BBC employee Anna Breeze. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. -T -T -E Go to my website. Uh, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. That's IanTrotier.com. You can find all my past guests. And you can discover more about Freedom Reserved, No More Lies. My book being published in the 2020 catalog via Trine Day. Coming your way, Spring 2020. And until next week. Be awesome.